Welcome to the Connect Your Health to Life coaching podcast. I'm your host, Seth Lusk. I'm a master certified self-image coach and empowered health coach with a decade-long background working in the health and wellness industry. If you're anything like me or the clients that I work with, then you're probably struggling with body image, self-image, or confidence issues. You're probably also trying to figure out why it is that you have these amazing desires for living your healthiest and most fulfilling life, but you can't seem to create consistent actions in your life to reflect those desires. So join me as we dive in deep on what it means to live a fulfilled and authentic life. We're going to look from the perspective of an empowered mindset and uncover reasons why you might be what's holding yourself back from living your most fulfilling life. I'm going to break through some of the biggest illusions and myths that we've all been taught to believe along the way. And I'm so excited to have you with me on this journey. So my only question for you is, are you ready to start living your most authentic and fulfilling life once and for all? Then let's get started, shall we? Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. For those of you listening in for the first time, welcome, welcome. I'm going to say it again this week. You picked a tremendously interesting topic to listen in on this week. Um, But also you picked a fascinating episode to listen in on because I'm doing something today that is very special and terrifying to me. I'm going to read you all an excerpt from my book, soon to be published, from chapter three of that book because it actually covers the topic that we're going to be talking about today. So listen into the episode. I'm going to talk to you all about the topic that we have. We've been talking about it all week on social media. So if you've been following me on Instagram and Facebook, you know our topic for the week is joy. And all of the substitutes and distractions that we find in life that we can fill ourselves up on. And uh, so chapter three in my book is also about joy. Um, And my book is an autobiography. It's about the story of my life and all of the things that I truly desired in life, but that I was either too afraid to go after or didn't understand how to go after. And so therefore, all of the substitutes that I filled myself up on in the process. And chapter three is about joy. Um, and all of the things that I filled myself up, self up on instead of joy. And that's what I want to talk with you all about today. And I'm hoping that you guys understand the reason I want to talk to you all about this, obviously, since a whole entire chapter in my book is about it, is because I'm, I struggled with this for so long, my friends. Joy was this elusive concept to me, actually a concept that I was very annoyed hearing about. And I realized as I, I see a lot of you all on social media posting about things that you, you buy for yourselves or foods that you're eating or drinks that you're drinking, and I see a lot of people confusing the concept of joy with a lot of other words, and I want to get clear on that today with you all. What exactly is joy? How do we cultivate it in our life? So I'm going to talk to you all about that, and then I'm going to do a quick um, reading from chapter three. It's not the whole entire chapter. But I'm going to read to a certain point in the chapter about joy. And then I'm going to come back at the end and leave you all with my goodbyes and my wishes for you for the week. So sit down, get comfortable. It's going to be a special episode. I hope you all enjoy the content from the book. I really feel like this book, I'm so excited to be putting it out for you all. I'm also terrified because it's the first time I've ever actually published a book. 
but I've had enough people asking me about it for so long and me wanting to do it for so long, I decided enough is enough, Seth, and wrote the book. So um, not sure how long the publishing process is going to take. So you guys are the lucky ones to get a quick sneak peek into the book before we even get a publishing date out for it. So today, joy. It's this concept that we all vaguely know about, and we talk about it, and we talk about it as if it's some, like, elusive creature. And to be honest, I think the way we look at it, it kind of is. But the biggest problem I see about using the use of the word joy is that we interchange it with other concepts that are really just temporary distractions and substitutes for it. And what's a bit sad to me, and also a bit shocking for me, is that with all the research out there in science and psychology, with neuroscience, positive psychology, NLP, is that with all of that studying of emotions and how we experience them and why, there is almost no research on joy. Joy, the pinnacle of human experience, the one that we're all seeking, even if we don't realize it, and yet we keep pleasuring ourselves with cheap distractions and substitutes because we don't understand what it is. And so follows the research. There have been a few pioneers in the field of psychology that have been trying to like open the doors on researching more about joy and where it comes from and why we experience it. But for now, we're kind of left with this really limited documentation of understanding this concept. And you know what? I'm actually okay with this. I'm kind of okay with this. Because I like being on the forefront of this research. I like being able to exist as we open up the doors to joy and truly discover what it is. And being someone that is helping people to discover it in their own lives and live it in their own lives. As the scientific community hasn't even fully figured it out yet. The research isn't there yet. Guys, I'm here to show you the real life application of it before the research figures it out. So why is it that we feel stuck in being able to understand something that we're capable of cultivating and experiencing while science is figuring out the how for us and the steps to experiencing it. Why is it that we struggle with that? Why is it that we're waiting on the scientific community to give us the how and the steps to, like we do with everything else in life? Why are we not out there figuring it out for ourselves? Thankfully for you guys, I've done some of the research and work on myself and I've helped my clients with it, so I've got some insight here for you all. But my question is, Why do we keep distracting ourselves from it in favor of quick substitutes or quick distractions from it? What is it that we are so afraid of happening if we pursue joy? Have you ever really thought about that? So today, what I want to do, I want to start creating some awareness around joy. I want to start creating some awareness around what it is, what it is not, and how I see people misusing the word joy synonymously with some other terms that are actually just immediate gratification and distractions from joy itself. So I've mentioned this a couple of times already. So you might be wondering, what are the distractions that I'm talking about? The distractions that I see people often confusing with joy. What are these substitutes that I see people using at a level that they're not even aware that what they truly want is joy because they're so full of the substitutes? Okay, so here are the substitutes I'm talking about. I'm talking about pleasure, enjoyment, happiness, contentment, delight, and satisfaction. I'm sure there are a few others, but these are the big ones that I see people using. So I want to start with defining these words and see what they really are. And then we're going to take a look at joy 
and why we might be distracting ourselves with these other concepts instead of going after the very thing that we really want, which is joy. Let's start with pleasure. So the definition of pleasure is the agreeable feeling that accompanies getting something good or something much wanted. So in this definition, one thing becomes very clear. Pleasure is based on getting something, which means that it is externally dependent. This does not necessarily have to be a physical thing, though. I want you to understand that. We can also gain pleasure from the idea of getting someone's attention. But the key here with pleasure is to recognize that it is dependent on external factors and the perception of receiving something and choosing thoughts about it that are agreeable. Okay, so that's pleasure. Enjoyment, that's the next word. The definition of enjoyment is the state or process of taking pleasure in something. So this one I see getting very confused with joy because the word joy is actually in it, enjoyment. But here again, we see that this word is based in external factors. It can be experienced by our own design with our own thoughts about the things around us that we see as us receiving and then receiving pleasure from. So you can almost imagine that enjoyment is like the next step of pleasure. It's actually realizing that you're taking pleasure in something and then choosing to be in that moment of taking pleasure and being present with that sensation of pleasure. That is enjoyment. But again, this is based on the external. It's temporary and it's a distraction from joy. At least it is a distraction from joy when you're not truly seeking joy and you don't know how to create it in your life because it can be used as a substitute. And when we substitute it for joy, it becomes a distraction from joy. So before I move on to the next words, maybe it's important that I define distraction here for you really quick, because I think that's a word also that a lot of people misunderstand. And I want you to understand why I'm choosing to use this word to describe these other words here. So distraction is basically anything that causes us to either slow down in, stop, or reverse the direction of movement towards a true desire or goal. So if you can imagine, here's an image. Imagine driving a car through mud. If the car has traction, it will continue moving in the direction the driver intends the car to go in, and the speed that the driver intends for the car to be going in that direction with their steering and how much they're pushing on the gas pedal. When the car loses traction, it may slow down because the tires are spinning more than they're able to move the car forward. It may slide side to side or not move forward as the driver intends or wants. Or it may even slide backwards as the driver intends to move forward if the car can't get enough traction to move forward. Or the car may be sitting still and the wheels are spinning, but the car cannot go forward for a lack of traction. So, distraction is the same in our lives. We are driving our lives, if we can imagine. And we all have true desires, joy being one of them. And distractions are anything that causes our, the vehicle of our life to move in a different direction, to go backwards to stop moving forward, or to slow down the direction towards the true goal. That is distraction. This means that something we perceive as being the same thing as what we want, but is not it, but we keep moving toward it instead of what we truly want, is something that is stopping us from making movement toward our true desires, or slowing us down on our movement towards it. So this is dis 
Traction. That's what distraction is. I know a lot of people see distraction as being like you're trying to concentrate and someone's making noise. And yeah, that is an, an example of it. But in our lives, distraction takes on such a bigger concept that we're not paying attention to. So I think clearing that up here is really important for you all to understand. That's what distraction is. So back to the list of these distractions and temporary substitutes. So the next word that we have is satisfaction. The definition of satisfaction is pleasure derived from the fulfillment of one's expectations. So satisfaction is also pleasure. So it's temporary. We already know that. And it's based in us having expectations of life. And then us being able to complete the necessary actions towards creating those expectations as a result. In a way that we will then perceive that we have met those expectations satisfactorily. That is satisfaction. So in a lot of ways, we can feel satisfied when we experience joy. But satisfaction does not create joy. I want to be clear about that here. Satisfied is based in what we believe we want to expect from life. What if we do not expect that we can experience joy? What if we expect that we actually can't experience anything we truly want in life? Did you know that you can feel satisfied with feeling absolutely miserable? Did you know that that's actually a possibility? It's true. I mean, it's really, really true. So if you expect that life will be hard and miserable and that you will never succeed and you go about proving that to yourself and then someone comes along and tries to show you otherwise, you may wonder why you don't just believe what this other person is trying to show you and go after expecting something different from your life than being miserable. Is there something wrong with you? No, there's nothing wrong with you. Here's the thing. You have taught your mind to expect misery. You've literally trained your reticular activating system in your brain and other parts of your brain to look for the fact that life will be miserable. And so your brain is going about creating a world in which you find that evidence. And it feels satisfied in having fulfilled that expectation. You're alive in it and you know how to stay alive in it. Your brain has fulfilled its requirements of keeping you alive and has given you enough evidence of the world that meets the expectation you gave it to look for. So, guess what? You feel satisfied with being there. And that's really important to recognize here. So satisfaction is very much not equivalent to joy. But I hear the word being substituted quite often. I see people doing things in their life that is a cycle of abuse to themselves and their body, and they have a true want for getting out of that cycle. Maybe it's overeating or overdrinking or, or using drugs or porn or whatever it could be, over-televisioning. But they have taught themselves to expect that, that it will be too hard and that in order to enjoy life, they will just have to be this way for their whole life. Just get used to it. So they become satisfied with just staying in these cycles and feeling like they won out, but that there's no hope, so why bother trying? And then they'll start seeing the tools that they're using to create these cycles, be that food, alcohol, drugs, television, social media, whatever it might be. They see those as being satisfying to them. And they see it this way not because they're weird or broken or stupid or dumb or whatever weak. It's not because of that. It's because their expectation of life has been met. And it is familiar to them. And they know how to stay alive there. 
Well, I mean, they know how to stay alive as long as their body can hold on to with, with the abuse. Because let's be honest, a lot of the stuff that we're doing with our bodies with food and alcohol and sitting in front of televisions all day long, those cycles of abuse wear our bodies out. So we know how to stay alive at least as long as those cycles of abuse don't actually physically kill our body. So our mind knows how to keep us alive staying in those cycles with these tools that we use to keep those cycles alive. And because of that, people start associating this feeling of satisfaction with how they're living their life versus what they're really after, which is joy. But here's the thing. If any of you out there listening find yourself in these cycles, and I'm sure at least one of you listening recognizes these cycles in your life that you want to get out of, of overeating, sitting in front of the television all day and losing time that you really wanted to be doing something else like writing your book or, you know, getting out and exercising. If you notice yourself in cycles like this, or maybe you did notice yourself in cycles like that, and now you just kind of become satisfied and stagnant in it. I know this is calling to you to listen in because I know you can relate to this deep down there's a voice inside of you that still keeps tapping you on the shoulder saying, but this is not what you really want. You're just settling for it because you believe that, that this is all you can have. I know you hear that voice. Maybe you use some different words. Maybe it doesn't talk so quietly, but I know you recognize that voice. I know you recognize that feeling of hearing that. So here's the thing. You can choose to keep staying stuck in satisfaction, or you can go after what you really want, which is joy. The choice is yours, and we're going to talk about how we create that later. But let's move on to the next word. So we've got contentment. The definition of contentment is a state of feeling satisfied, with ease of mind, a belief that this is enough. Notice how these words use each other in their definitions. Now contentment has the word satisfied in it. Now, don't get me wrong here. I'm not knocking on contentment either, because I think that contentment has some real value in this world. In a world that is obsessed with having more and more things. At some point, we will want to choose to see the amount of things that we possess as being enough. We really want to do that. But here is where contentment can become a distraction from joy. It comes from feeling satisfied and then saying that is enough. I'm going to stop here. So contentment can actually become something that we use in fear to keep us still in a place where we are because we are unsure or afraid of how to go after what it is that we really want. And it can be a lot of things, but in this case, we're talking about joy. You see, I see a lot of people choosing the feeling of contentment as a reason to stop growing and going after the deeper thing that they want in their practice of self-love, of authenticity, and of creating joy. They use contentment as being the reason why I'm stopping here. I'm not going to keep growing. I see people in careers that they don't want to be in, relationships that they don't want to be in, all because they shoulded themselves into them. That's <laughs> a funny word, shoulded. They say things like, oh, well, I should want this. I should be enjoying this. I should be happy with this. But here's the thing. These were not things that, that you, I'm either talking directly to you, or that they genuinely wanted in these examples of people that I can think of. And you fear seeing what you really want in life and how you could achieve that. So you content yourself into stillness and stagnation in your life. Do you recognize yourself doing this? A lot of people do this. 
They stop looking for solutions and ways forward towards their genuine wants and tell themselves, I should not want more than this right here in my life. Or they say things like, this is all that is possible possible for me, so I should stop wanting more. And they start trying to content themselves into stagnation. And this brings us to our next word, the next substitute or distraction from joy, happiness. <laughs> and my friends, as I say this word, I know a lot of you are kind of like, you either were like, huh? or <laughs> maybe you were like, what in the world is he talking about? Happiness is good. Okay, so here's the definition of happiness. Happiness is a state characterized by feelings of satisfaction and contentment. And here's the thing. We, as a society, the psychological community, the self-help community, the, the um, you know, personal growth community, we throw this word around so much. And people who do not truly understand the depths of theory of positive psychology throw this word around a lot. And they just go about this idea of thinking that happiness is the key. Like, it's like the end goal to life. They really think this. They think, like, I just need to be happy in life, and then life will just be this happily ever after, and that's the point of life. But here again is that, guys, and I'm going to talk about this in the chapter that I read for you here in a little while. Here again is that happily ever after mentality, and I've talked with you all about this before. There's a reason why movies end with a happily ever after. It's because the happily ever after is boring. <laughs> it's not life. It's not the human experience. The human experience is all all about our emotions and all of our emotions. It's about struggle. It's about facing obstacles. It's about finding solutions for those obstacles. It's about life happening and us seeing our agency and our power in it to decide and move forward towards our goals, no matter what circumstances life hands out. And what is happiness? Happiness is satisfaction and contentment. And as you've seen in the above definitions of these two words, neither of these words creates that contrast, this struggle, this growth, this human experience. Now, I want to be clear here. Is happiness bad? No, I'm not saying that happiness is bad. I want to be clear about that. I think as we grow and we create new possibilities for ourselves and we go after those possibilities and we meet those expectations and find more possibility for ourselves... And we, we fulfill our need for self-love, self-trust, self-worth, and see that as unconditional. We will feel happiness along the way, and that can be a good thing. But when happiness becomes the goal, then what we are chasing is stagnation. We are chasing an end point, a point in life in which life stops being life. Why are we in a hurry to get there and stay there? Why have we bought into this illusion that somehow this is desired? I, I really want you to ask yourself that. I think that it's for many reasons, including social programming, obviously. I mean, just look at Instagram at all of the crap that's on there about being happy. And you just need to do this to feel happy and be happy. And it's because of this, happiness becomes our distraction from joy. Or part of that is that's part of the reason why. And it becomes our distraction from going after what we really want in life. So the last word that I have here is delight, which is the experience of great pleasure. I think I do not need, to, I don't need to spend much time on this one, really. I mean, it's really just experiencing great pleasure. 
So go back, listen to the definition of pleasure and how it falls short of joy, the joy that we really want, and how pleasure creates distraction from it if we make it our goal. And here's the thing. No matter how intensely we experience that pleasure, even in the state of delight, it does not make it joy. It will never make it joy. So I want you to see something here. There is a theme in all of these words, and I want to clarify this here. I Again, I want to say I'm not saying that experiencing this, these words is a distraction from joy or that experiencing these words is bad. So please, if, if that's what you took from this so far, I want you to listen to me right now. I'm not saying that these are bad and that we shouldn't want to experience them. But here is where these become destructive and where they become a distraction. It's when we believe in the illusion that they are the goal, the end point. That our goal in life is to reach the point of experiencing these things and floating off into a happily ever after of stagnation and no growth and no struggle and life will just be blissful from here on out. When we believe that and when we put these terms over top of joy and say that these are the end goal because we don't know how to create joy and therefore we don't know how to seek it, when we do that, these terms become destructive. They become distractions. They become cheap substitutes. When we use these words as substitutes because we believe that we don't know how to create joy, so what's the point in going after it? So I do not get me wrong here. I'm not saying that you should try to never experience pleasure, never experience happiness, never experience satisfaction, delight, contentment, or enjoyment. I'm not saying this at all. Please do not hear that message. I want you all to experience all of these emotions. But what I want to ask you to pay attention to is how much you prioritize these feelings in your life over the pursuit of joy. How often do you make these temporary substitutes and feelings a distraction by seeing them as some sort of end goal in life instead of just things that we experience along the way while we are creating joy in life and that joy is something separate and joy is not an end goal either. So this may have you asking the question, well then, Seth, what is joy? (laughs) You may be sitting there thinking, yeah, you're talking all this crap about all these other words here. So what is joy? And I'm going to say I'm glad you asked. I'm really glad you asked. Joy, ooh, it's, it's such a beautiful word. But what's even more beautiful about it is that it's not just one thing. Joy is the culmination of several things in our life coming together And I know as I say this, some of you are going to roll your eyes. Some of you are going to get frustrated. Some of you may try and shut this off when you you hear this and, and you might not want to listen again. But I'm going to ask you, don't do that. Keep listening. We are going to go back here to a few things, though, that I know people keep thinking. If you just keep listening to enough podcast episodes and reading enough self-help books, you'll find the ways around these things in life, and you'll find the quick solution to that happily ever after to float off after without ever having to deal with these self-help things that people consider to be soft skills. That I'm talking about the self-love, the self-worth, um, the self-trust, all of these things. So joy is a culmination of several things. Joy comes from several internal practices connecting and us recognizing how we bring those practices outward into life. Not the other way around. We don't create the joy out here and bring it into our life. We create the joy by creating the internal practices and then bringing that out into life. 
So what are these things that, that we create internally? It's knowing our true values, my friends. It's knowing what we're sensitive to in life, as Mike Iamelli, Mike Iamelli puts it, which, by the way, he's coming on the podcast again here soon, so I'm excited about that. So it's knowing our values, knowing our sensitivities, knowing our uniqueness in life, knowing our authenticity in life, and knowing that deeply, knowing deeply who we are, knowing how unconditionally lovable and acceptable we are, knowing uh, how amazing that person is that we are, and how that person being here in this world is so valuable and so worthy of being here by design, not by yours or anyone else's opinion. You and everyone else on this planet were designed worthy to be here. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. You do not, and no one else on this planet gets to decide now on that worthiness. It was decided before you even arrived here. So you can choose to not see it, but it doesn't change the worthiness of it. Just like you can choose to not see the the worth or the value of a diamond, but the diamond is still worth what it is worth. The worth of the diamond does not change simply because the person looking at it doesn't see that worth. Same goes for you, and when you look at you or anyone else looks at you, you are worthy by design. Please let that sink in. So seeing all of this, knowing this, is the first part of cultivating joy. The second part of true joy is knowing what you truly want in life and that you are, because you're worthy by design, worth wanting that and not just worth wanting it, worth going after it, finding ways in life to create it. No matter how many ways you try and you don't get the result you want, you try another one. You see your worth in doing that. It's not about creating the thing and that's when I'm worthy. No, 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 that you're worthy already. You're worthy enough to keep trying and not getting the result and doing it again and doing it again until you figure out the way to create it. The third part of true joy is connecting how all of this want, all of this beautifulness that you are as a human, how that goes out into the world and contributes to humanity as a whole. How your genuine wants in life contribute to the betterment of you as a human and therefore contribute to the betterment of humanity in general, the world around you in general. And this part can feel tricky because I know we've been taught a model of more for me means less for you or more for you means less for me. So a lot of us believe that in order for us to better ourselves or for someone else to better themselves, that it has to take away from another person. And this is simply not true. A lot of us have also been taught the model that we have to better other people before we're allowed to better ourselves because of this belief in scarcity, that more for me means less for everybody else. But here's the thing. This isn't true when we approach our true needs and desires and wants from an abundance stance. When we approach what it is that we truly want at the level of essence, not form, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, then I want you to go back and listen to my episode on essence versus form so that you can understand what I mean there. When we approach it from that way, this model of more for me means less for you or more for you means less for me, and therefore we should want to better other people before ourselves, that model seems so ridiculous. Because here's the thing, when I better myself, I better everybody else. Because when I better myself, it's so that I can show up in the world as that person and offer that opportunity for other people to say, hey, yes, you can do this for you too, and be there to contribute to the world. 
Be there to contribute to other people seeing this and, and bettering themselves. So joy is the culmination of knowing who we are, not the things that we have or the body's physical traits. I'm talking about who we actually are. Not your mind, not your thoughts, not your behaviors, who we are. So it comes from knowing that person and seeing that person's unconditional worth and lovability and showing up as that person in this life. And then begin to look at and open up ourselves to what is truly important to us as a person, what we're sensitive to in life, what we value and why. And then how does this connect to our spirit of who we are and why? And then we take that and we show up in this world as that beautiful person with those beautiful things that are important to us and what we're sensitive to in life. And we give that person unconditional permission to want because what they want is beautiful. When we truly see that person and what is important to them and why what they want is beautiful. And again, where this gets confusing is when we think that what we want is a thing and that therefore in order to get it, I have to take from someone else. But when we let ourselves know that what we truly want isn't that, then we show up in the world as these beautiful people with these beautiful wants. And then we bring that into the world all around us. And then we cultivate these deep, open, unconditionally loving relationships with people and the world around us. And we begin to see other people in their same unconditionally loving light. And we start to see them as humans having the human experience that we're having along with us and that they're sensitive to what they're sensitive to and they have their own values and their own things that are important to them and that's a beautiful thing. And we see them as loving themselves and letting that person want to and that's a beautiful thing. We begin to see other people as that too and we connect to them on that level and we work with them to create this connection, this abundance in life that becomes a support for all of us and how we support each other in wanting to be there in this life as beautiful humans and that we are all in our own journey of life together. I know that sounds like it's not possible, but it is so possible to have our own journeys and still be in it together. And you see, when we see all of that and we open ourselves to that experience, that level of connection, that level of unconditional love and expression of being human, then, my friends, that is, when we, that is when we begin experiencing joy. So you might be asking, why is this important to understand? Why are we talking about joy? Why are we even talking about this when we have all been living in this misunderstanding so far and we're all just getting by? And that's just it. That is just it. I know I feel it so deeply. And I think if you begin to be honest with yourself and open yourself up to this idea, you feel it too. Just getting by with these temporary substitutes for joy, filling up on these distractions, it's just creating more and more of this deep aching inside of all of us. An ache that is, is so profoundly, oh, it's so deep and so painful. And it's an ache to see and know that there is something deeper and more fulfilling in this life that we're not allowing ourselves to see because we're so busy out there distracting ourselves with these surface level terms that are externally based. And this, my friends, is the ache of unmanifested joy in all of humanity. We are all collectively experiencing that ache and you can see it in the news. 
It's the ache of living in disconnection from something that we are designed to be connected to, and that is each other in joy. It's that deep sinking feeling that you get after you've made the money, once you got the job, once you started the relationship. And in the book excerpt I'm going to read from you guys today, I talk about this happening in my life. It's that aching feeling that you have after you've had the kids, after you bought the car, you bought the house, you got that body, you got the fame, and there's still that deep sinking feeling. It's still there and it's saying, that wasn't it. That wasn't what I was looking for. But am I allowed to want more? That aching is what I'm talking about. And the answer is yes, you are allowed to want more. But here's the thing. What you want more of is not those things. It is more depth in your experience of life. That's what you want. More depth into your humanity and knowing it. That's what you want. More depth into your ability to love and connect with yourself and therefore other people on these levels. And none of that comes from buying more things, from making more money. It never will come from that. You see, these journeys to more things, they're actually there to take us through obstacles that will give us the opportunity to face what we are not giving to ourselves and to then create the depth that we're looking for. But we are, we're so externally focused and so end result focused that we keep speeding right past that. You're on the journey for the thing that you want because in that journey, you will face obstacles in which you will come face to face with an opportunity to give yourself what you truly want. On that journey to making money, to buying the car, to buying the house, that journey to, I don't know, the career, the journey was what you were looking for. But you sped right through it, thinking that the money was what was going to finally make you feel what you wanted to feel, the car, the house, whatever it was you were after. So you missed out on the part that fulfilled what you actually wanted, which was the depth to the experience of life as you and to love yourself fully and unconditionally right where you are in the journey, not once you get to the end. The depth of showing up in your life with these obstacles as they present themselves, and you love yourselves through them, not around them, not away from them. The depth of feeling yourself through those obstacles with all of the feelings that come up, and releasing the guilt or shame to fully see yourself experiencing every emotion that comes up through them. And in that experience, in that journey, is the depth that you are truly seeking. So here's the thing. If you keep seeing the end as being what's going to finally fulfill you, then you will just keep rushing past this to that quote-unquote end point where you get the hit of pleasure, the hit of happiness, the hit of contentment, delight, enjoyment, satisfaction, whatever you want to substitute. And you speed right past what you actually wanted, which was the journey and the joy in it. And this is why we have so many people in this world that no matter how much external success they can create, they still don't feel fulfilled. They don't know why they're going after what they're going after. But they do know that they are in such a hurry to hurry up and get there. Because what they believe is that in the end is where their lack of fulfillment lies. They're in such a hurry and in such a deep belief of this that they speed right past the experiences in their life, the ones that would offer them what they're really looking for. And their mind is looking for evidence that the end is what they want. So it doesn't even allow them to see the beauty in their life around them as they're in their journey, the journey that they're in now. 
because they've told their mind, this is all just a bunch of crap. We just have to hurry up and get through this to the end goal. That's where, that's where the beauty will be. And your brain hears that and looks for evidence of it. And literally anything in your life that you could feel happy about, your brain will be like, no, you're not allowed to be happy about that yet. Remember, that doesn't come until the end. Because people are programming their minds to expect this. And so therefore, they will not feel fulfilled until they, well, they think until the end of the goal. But then they get there, they still don't feel fulfilled because they ran right past the joy. The parts in their life that would have actually been fulfilling. The knowing of themselves. The knowing of why they're going after what they're going after. The the values that they're creating in life. The things that they're sensitive to. The people around them that they were connecting to along the way. They speed right past that. And they don't feel any more fulfilled in life. Joy is what you really want. I promise you. But in your quest... For result-focused expectations, you keep sprinting right past it and filling yourselves up on distractions and temporary substitutes and then telling yourself and your brain that this is the expectation of life. And so you feel satisfied with being in that cycle, but not fulfilled. And then you're going after goal after goal after goal and feeling lost and unfulfilled still, but you're satisfied with being in that cycle because that's what you've told your brain to expect. And of course, you feel full. Your life feels full, full of distractions and substitutes and all of these things, and you don't feel fulfilled. And you feel so full and distracted, you don't even recognize an appetite for the real thing anymore. You've created an illusion of satisfaction with being stuffed full of distraction and substitute and created the illusion of all of this being what you should expect out of life. So even though the menu is in front of you, And joy is on it. You're sitting in the restaurant of life and you keep getting up from the table and walking to the buffet of distraction and filling your plate there and not ordering what you really want in life. And my friends, this is the theme of my book. If any, if you all can learn anything from me, it's that I have lived a life where I've filled myself up on distractions from what I truly wanted. And what I want to do as a coach is to help people find those things that they truly want and show them how to be in their journey after them with authenticity and with joy, being in that journey. And so I wrote my book about this because I want people to know what I struggled through and how it didn't, it didn't leave me feeling any more fulfilled or happy in life. I felt stuffed, full, and miserable. What I really wanted was dot, 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 but I was just too full of. What I really want is dot, 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 but I'm just too full of by Seth Lusk. Chapter three, pleasure, the joy-free substitute. When I was a kid, sugar substitutes were still this fairly new thing. People were choosing to remain a bit skeptical of their dangers. There were still enough people alive on the planet who remembered what eating natural food actually looked like at the time. I'm talking about the 1980s and early 1990s. So people had questions about these new chemicals. How would they harm the body silently in the background if consumed? But as people's waistlines expanded from the influx of sugar and bread in our diet and the lack of awareness that this was actually causing this rapid weight gain, people were looking for ways to stop the successive expansion of fat cells in their bodies. The idea of calories being the cause of this was on the rise. 
And along with it, the idea that sugar substitutes might be the answer. And it took hold. I have a ton of thoughts about this topic, but that's for another book. So, here's the interesting thing about these substitutes. Even though there is zero sugar in them, and zero calories, our body does not know the difference on a hormonal level when we ingest and taste them. So even though most of us know that insulin is produced by the body to move sugar from the blood, we did not think about the implications of sugar substitutes on this response in our bodies. So here's what happened. Science began to realize that the taste of sweetness still triggered a response in the brain. It told the digestive system to prepare for sugar, and then told the body to prepare to receive sugar. So guess what would happen? The body would start producing insulin to prepare for this influx of sugar. But the sugar never came. And this resulted in some serious confusion in the body about what to do and what to do with this hormone floating around in the blood that's designed to tell the body to store energy. But there was no energy floating around to store. So what did the body do? It sent out another signal. Another signal to try and stimulate the person to take in some energy to store, resulting in cravings of foods with actual calories in them. And then people would sit down with their sugar-free drink and a bag of chips, something really energy-dense because this is what the body was asking for to deal with this strange blip in the hormone response. What does this have to do with joy, Seth? I know that's what you're thinking. Okay, okay, simmer down here a bit. I'm getting there. But there's something important here to pay attention to. You see, the body has true and natural desires. Desires such as the one to consume enough nutrients and energy to sustain life, to grow, and to be healthy. And when we try to substitute something there for that need, because we don't understand the need or how to meet it in a way that serves us, guess what? That need still exists, and oftentimes feels even more confusing. On top of that, how we perceive our ability to meet that need may feel even more confusing too. So, as insulin resistance went on the rise from this influx of foods filled with chemical substitutes and hidden sugar and sugar substitutes, so did the rise of diabetes, leptin resistance, eating disorders, high blood pressure, and the list goes on and on. People got more and more confused about what our bodies were doing to us and why. The truth was, we were trying to substitute a quick fix for a genuine need. Snacking and getting that quote-unquote sweet fix slowly became a normal behavior pattern. As food companies started pumping out more and more of these snack foods to meet the restless mouths demands of the public. And this began creating massive dysfunction in the bodies of many people on this planet. Today, scientists are just now beginning to scratch the surface of the dysfunction we've been creating with our food industry and advertising and the chemicals and food substitutes that we've been trying to use instead of understanding the body's true needs and how to meet them. The damage caused by constant snacking is just now beginning to get the attention of the scientific and medical communities, and the battle of which food industry or medical industry has more money to bury the other under, while real people are getting sick and dying from this mess that we've created. And sadly, in some cases, the food industry has deep enough pockets to convince the field of science to bury the evidence. But again, this is a story for another book. So, now that I've probably frustrated you or bored you with that discussion, or maybe I've intrigued you, here comes the connection between this food supply debauchery and joy. 
You see, our spiritual bodies, not just our physical bodies, our spiritual bodies, our true selves, our emotional health body, it is suffering from cheap substitutes too, including substituting food pleasure for what we truly want in life. So many people's spiritual bodies are living in dysfunction and confusion as their needs still exist, but we keep overlooking how to meet them. And we do this in favor of quote-unquote quick fixes and substitutes in the world around us that appear easier and faster to attain than the real thing. If you have not taken a single lesson from these first two chapters, then I want you to at least recognize this one. When we fill ourselves up on substitutes or distractions, the real need is always still there. It does not go away. And these temporary fixes, distractions, or substitutes only temporarily fill us up, but leave us feeling even hungrier once the signal reaches our spirit that the real need was still not met. And so we just end up needing more and more of the substitute until we disease ourselves, both physically and emotionally, with large quantities of cheap substitutes. All of this being done because we did not take the time to understand the true want and need, and how we can meet it. It's a serious struggle of humanity, and I am definitely human, for the generally obvious reasons, but also in the fact that I struggled with this. In particular, I struggled with this when it came to the concept of joy, and I found all of the joy-free substitutes to fill up on. You see, joy seemed to me like this vague, abstract religious concept that my grandma or my preacher would talk about. But as mentioned in previous chapters, I had chosen to not believe that crap already. So I threw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. I threw the idea of joy and my natural desire for it. I tossed it right out of the window with the idea of religion. And I began my spiritual, joy-free diet full of all of these substitutes and distractions. I'm talking about enjoyment, pleasure, happiness, delight, satisfaction, contentment. Bring them on. Just please make sure there's no joy in it, will you? I might have an intolerance. Distraction took the forms of pleasure from sex. Working hard to make money and feel satisfied or content with my success in life. It took the form of enjoying trips to places with friends and going out to bars at night to get drunk. It was this constant quest for experiencing the delight of getting drunk and going home with someone. And by going home, I mean then experiencing the pleasure of sex with them. This high of stacking those on top of each other was one substitute I seemed to just keep heading back to that buffet line for. But then inevitably, waking up the next morning and the person waking up next to me both of us realizing the distraction that we had both played a part in, and then one of us, the one not in his own bed, leaving in a rush of embarrassment. And there I would be, either in my bed or making the walk of shame, alone, hungover, ashamed, completely unhappy. Hey, but at least I was joy-free, huh? So, happy, the latest and greatest joy-free life-fulfillment substitute. That must be what I'm after here, right? Or so I thought. Happiness. That's the big buzzword in self-help. Yeah, let's try that. So there I was, standing in that long line at the buffet, and trust me, the line was packed full of people, just like you, looking for those 
quicker to access joy-free emotions. So I stood waiting to get my plate full of happiness. A plate of happiness. That will surely do the trick. I just needed the right car. I just needed the right job title. I needed to make the right amount of money to afford that place to live. I needed that time on the weekend with that money to go out to those right restaurants and eat those fancy foods and took those pictures of myself enjoying these things, share them with my friends around the world about how happy and successful I am and enjoying life, or at least that's what my Instagram or Facebook would say, and me meeting all of my expectations of success. I needed, needed, needed. Turns out, on a joy-free diet, you need... A lot of things to feel satisfied for a short while. I needed the college degree to have the respect to get that job that would lead to all of the stuff that I needed. So, college was going to be my gateway to happiness. And happiness was the key to that ever-elusive happy ever after. And that was the goal of life for now. That was the joy-free substitute. Who had time to know themselves what was important to them, or how amazing of a person they are, or how unconditionally lovable they are, just by being them. We'll have time for that, all of that crap later, after we prove to the world in all of our pictures on Instagram and Facebook that we're worth being here. And doing that by achieving all of the success and proving that we're happy. See, just look at the smile. That was the general narrative of the public. Still is, actually. And hence, I write this book. Guys, I really want to help. So, I was on this joy-free substitute diet for years, always feeling full, and at the same time always feeling this deep aching hunger, but being way too distracted with temporary full feeling of all of these quick-fix solutions instead of for the genuine hunger. That hunger for that religious word. What was it again? Joy? Yeah. What even is that crap? Ugh. Just look at this new money-making possibility over here. If I could be successful at that and make that much money, then I could go on like three or four vacations a year, buy all of the houses and all of the places, all of the cars, and just be way too busy being happy to need that religious joy crap. My friends, I developed so many emotional and spiritual quote-unquote eating disorders on this joy-free diet, and... I don't actually just mean them in this theoretical quotation marks around it. I'm literally speaking about eating disorders, too. I had physical eating disorders. I'm talking binge eating, exercise bulimia, bouts of anorexia to try and balance out the binge eating. I was in deep, guys. I mean, like, really deep. In order to be successful and happy, I needed to look the part, too. I needed to have the body to fit the role of the job and to prove to everyone that I had made it. I had made it to happiness and success. See? Six packs abs. Check. Job title. Check. Husband? Check. Beautiful place to live. Check. Having my own business. Check, check. Making my own schedule? Check. Posting all about it on Instagram for the world to see just how successful and happy I am. Check. That joy-free life of success and happiness was underway. I was checking all of the boxes, but as I checked the boxes... More and more kept popping up. Wait, you don't have that yet. This person over here looks like they're probably happy and successful. They have this fancy car. Oh, crap. That's why I don't feel, I don't feel successful and happy yet. I don't feel that happy ever after. I don't have the new car box checked. Only eventually I could check that box. And then I found another one popping up. And another popping up. 
until my life felt so overwhelmingly full of to-do lists and things to achieve and things I needed to be better at to achieve, more of these things that other people had achieved to be happier than me, more things to buy and more expensive things to buy, which meant more money-making to buy them. I was stuffed, overwhelmed, exhausted, resentful, annoyed, and frustrated. And definitely too distracted with this pursuit of substitutes to see my real hunger. And this is the illusion here that feels so intoxicating on a joy-free diet. It also feels so confusing, and it becomes so profoundly overwhelming and addictive that for so many people, it becomes their cycle of self-abuse for a large portion of their life, if not all of it. And I was not immune to that trend, my friends. You see, I too am human. Obviously, we clarified that before. So, I have the need and the true human desire for uh, joy. But they don't teach that in school. They don't teach you that at home. They don't teach you that on social media either. Not on television can that lesson of joy, what it is, and how to find it be found. No. The only place I remember it vaguely being mentioned was that guy behind the pulpit on Sundays. And we've already talked about this. He also told me that I was an abomination to God and going to hell, so who cares what he thinks, right? Right. So, baby out with the bathwater there. What I did know was that looking on television and social media showed me an image of what happiness and success was supposed to look like. And the message in school was to become successful in life. Because that was why we were spending all of these hours sitting at these wooden desks listening to these people talk on and on about stuff that we didn't really care about. But we were being told that we needed to stay awake and absorb this information to be allowed to be this, this person that had a stamp of approval that meant we could go out in the world and be offered success, right? That was the goal of life. And there were so many pictures in magazines, so many shows and movies on television, so many road signs that told you all about what it would look like once you quote-unquote got there, that showed you what your life would or should or must look like to know that you had finally made it to that happily ever after. Oh, and also what your spouse and kids would look like with their ridiculously smiling faces. You would see image after image of what your hair would look like, what clothes you would be wearing, the relationship you would, ble you would be blissfully in love in, the trips you would be taking, and how frequently, of course, flying first class to them. These were the constant images and messages I was receiving from the world around me. Maybe that was also because I was looking for them. So the chances were slim to none that any other message reached me of self-love, self-trust, self-worth, and that religious J-word, joy. Those little messages would need to wait until I was successful and happy. Then I would have time to deal with all of that inner self-nonsense, you know? That stuff that didn't really give me the goal of life. Or so I thought the goal was at the time. You know, to be successful and happy. These self-nonsense things were things that might be kind of nice to work on once I'm already in that successful and happy ever after place. But successful and happy ever after never came. Not after the college degree. Not after years of having sex with random guys and attempts to lure them into a long-term relationship with me. Not after finding the one guy willing to say yes to marrying me. After all of that, I was still not feeling successful and happy. At least not happy for very long. 
That's the funny thing about this happy. So maybe it's because of the amount of money I'm making. And in America at the time, which is where I was living then, making money was just feeling more and more like a rat race. So maybe the solution to happiness and success was following my new husband to another country with an economy and society that offered more opportunity. So off I went over the ocean to Switzerland with my Swiss husband. Six months later, I was not feeling any more happy or successful. After having lived with him and his Italian-slash-Portuguese parents while my husband got his finances together for us to finally get our own place. Which, of course, that was why I was not happy. That's it. We were still living with his parents. Of course, of course I don't feel successful. I had not achieved the end goal of life yet. You know, the one on the poster that showed my husband and I living in our own home with a dog and the kids in the yard... And those never-ending elusive indicators of now we've made it, you know, those big toothy smiles, was definitely not having those for sure. So that must be it. We just need to get out of this apartment with his parents. Only we never got out of there together. You see, divorce papers showed up before that happened. So there I was, in a foreign country, living in some man's parents' apartment with him sleeping on his old kid bed after being kicked out of our bed together. Divorce, huh? And this bed was in his parents' office, so virtually no privacy. My clothes were in a pile on the floor because I didn't have a drawer to my name to put them in. I was feeling alone. I was feeling treated like an outcast by my soon-to-be ex-husband's family. I had left everything in the USA. My car, my dogs, my home, my friends, my job that had told me never to come back. I had nothing in the USA to go back to. Plus, the USA to me was not the place to find success. That rat race over everyone trying to get on top of each other, that that was over for me. I wanted true opportunity for success and happiness, and I just knew that Switzerland was where I would find it. So there I was, alone, scared, trying to find work, being divorced by my soon-to-be ex-husband, His mom asking me to pay her rent to stay in their apartment sleeping on her son's old kid bed. The apartment that her son had brought me to and then dropped me without another place to go in a foreign country. I had a few new friends and a whole lot of fear. I also had a whole lot of determination that I was not going back to the USA. I knew that Switzerland was the key to success. And that going back to the USA would just be sealing the deal on me living a life of constant struggle, financial issues, never to be happy and successful. Going back to the USA was not an option in my mind. So there I was, telling my soon-to-be ex-husband that I was not going back to the USA, and he was going to help me make sure of that. I felt like he owed me that after him bringing me to Switzerland and then abandoning me. That seemed like a fair request. So there I went. Off to begin my quest for work and success in this new land of wealth and opportunity. And it was definitely a wealthy land of opportunity. I landed first in a job working for a fitness company in Zurich. At the time, I felt really excited. Here I was on the doorstep of success. I was finally going to make it. They were offering me a starting salary of more than I was making in the USA having worked at the same job for four years. This new job was offering me more than I had ever been paid in my life. I had made it. Success. Happiness and its permanency was sure to be on its way. 
So I thought. Only happiness, as usual, came and then faded. It faded along with my huge paycheck. Especially as those huge prices of rent and living in Switzerland also came into view. And then I started meeting people coming into the gym where I worked, who were dressed head-to-toe in expensive designer clothes, setting their keys to their Porsche or their Bentley on the counter as they searched their designer gym bag for their membership card to sign into the gym where I was working. The gym where I was only making enough money to pay rent, cost of living, and have a little bit of money left over for a few fun nights out with my friends on the weekend. I definitely did not have the money for those clothes that I saw these people wearing or the cars they were driving. And once I made friends with a few of them and went to visit them, I also saw that I had nowhere near enough money to afford the apartments they were living in. And this is where the happiness really faded. And along with it, that feeling that I was successful. I wasn't successful, obviously. I mean, just look at those perfectly straight white teeth smiling back at me on that perfectly smooth-skinned face sitting on those perfectly muscular shoulders covered in a Dior designer button-down paired with those perfectly matching Dior chinos seated on that 10,000 Swiss franc Italian leather chair. All of that was looking at me and screaming. This is what real success looks like. So you'll feel as successful and permanently happy as me once you can look like this and have all of this and cue their arms spinning out an Havana white presentation of their model life and apartment. So now I really had my work cut out for me. I knew what I needed to get out there and get to finally have that life and that end goal of happy and successful. It was all right in front of me and I needed a whole lot of money to get it. A whole lot. It was around this time of working at this gym and going through my divorce that I met my second husband. A love story for another book, but trust me, it was an amazing love story. Still is. Yes, that means we're still married as I write this book. So we began dating. He was tall, handsome, working as a school teacher, and he was making a ton of money. At least that was my belief at the time. You see, here's the thing about money. When someone is making more of it than you, and you think money is the way to happiness and success, it seems like they have so much more opportunity than you. And that that amount of money that they are just making provides the solutions to your issues of not feeling happy and successful. But then here's the thing. You'll start making that much money. And then you just have a new set of issues. And someone else standing in front of you that's making even more money of you. That you then believe is that amount of money that is the solution. It is truly never-ending. But back to my story here. In Switzerland, teachers do not make a salary to be joked about, especially not in Zurich, Switzerland. So I saw my soon-to-be husband, at the time my boyfriend, I saw his salary and thought to myself, I just need to be more like him. I just need to make that much money, as much money as him. Then I too will be feeling successful and happy just like he does. That was the thought of the time. I looked at the gym where I was working and how much money I was making. I searched the opportunities to advance in this gym, and I found a huge problem. That problem was that I was never, I would never, make as much money as my husband if I continued working there. So, I would never reach that end goal of happy and successful at this job. I started searching for other jobs. 
and it turned out that the jobs I qualified for did not offer me the success I was looking for. The career field I was in did not appreciate my worth as much as the career of my husband. So I would have to, there was my red flag, have to, I would have to explore other options if I wanted success and happiness. So after weeks of fighting with my husband and me feeling miserable and hating going to work at this gym and complaining, finally my husband had enough. Just quit then, he said. So I quit. I quit with the plan that I was going to create my own appreciation for my skills and worth. I was going to do it as an entrepreneur. Obviously, the world was not going to give me success. So that was what I was missing. I was not creating my own path to it. So this this would be my new key to the end goal of life, that happy ever after, with success, of course. I was getting warmer here. I was getting closer to my true desire. Because I was on to one thing. The world was not going to give me what I was looking for. But I also had no real clue what I was looking for. I was still chasing image after image of happiness and success and comparing myself to them and finding all of the things that I did not have that these images had. And for every comparison came a new thing that I needed before I would finally be allowed to have that happy ever after. I started working myself to the bone, losing sleep, feeling stressed, telling myself, you're not successful to rest, not successful enough yet. I was taking on new projects to grow my business. This became my everyday life. I was exhausted. I was feeling dead inside. I was feeling empty. I was feeling scared. I was feeling very frustrated. I was not feeling happy or successful. I was feeling completely full of things to do, and yet there was just more that I needed to stuff myself full of. And I was doing this in order to meet the demands of this ever-changing external example of what the quote-unquote end goal was. This end goal that everyone, every other successful person with a smile of happiness was telling me was my end goal. The truth was that I myself did not actually create a goal. I was just doing what I thought I should be doing to get some goal that someone else said was how I was finally going to feel successful. I was buying all of the things that give a person enjoyment. I was going out and drinking all of the drinks and eating all of the food that gave a person pleasure. My husband and I were taking vacations to Mallorca and Tel Aviv and all of the places that people feel delight in going to. I was spending so much time working and working and getting personal training contract after personal training contract with new clients to be able to afford more pleasure, more satisfaction, more delight, and more enjoyment. I was full and exploding with these joy-free substitutes. And my spiritual and emotional body were so dysfunctional and starving at the same time for what I truly wanted in life. I couldn't even see it, though. I was living in this life packed full of distraction and substitutes. I was standing in the buffet line with my plate out, begging for more joy-free food to fill up on. Waiting to feel full enough to get that end goal of happiness and success. Waiting to hit that pleasure and delight point and hit that big enough that it would just launch me into that happily ever after that you see in the movies, on the posters and in the magazines. 
and in every other rich person's life around me. So I thought. I was miserable. I was aching inside from a hunger that I was too full to even really feel. And yet again, to feel that hunger, I was going to want to detox and clear out that space that was stuffed full of all of the distractions and substitutes. I was going to want to create that silent, empty space that I was scared of feeling, that was right there. I was going to want to take the time to leave that space empty. I was wanting to trust that what I truly wanted would show itself and come in and fill that space with what it was actually designed for. Joy. Hey everyone, welcome back from hearing that excerpt from my book. I hope you all enjoyed it. I hope you all are as excited as I am about when this book comes out. I will be keeping you all up to date of um, what's going to go on with the publishing process. I'm sort of pitching the book to um, some editors, some um, literary agents, and seeing if I want to go with a publishing agency or doing self-publishing. So I'll keep you all up to date of when the book is actually going to be released, but I'm so excited to give it to you all. I'm so excited to have finally written it. And um, yeah, so I hope you all enjoyed the book excerpt. Guys, if you take anything from today, what I want you to understand is that joy is one of the many true wants that you have in life. And you may have taught yourself to believe that you can't have it and that it's this illusion, but it's not. It's something really true and deeply profound when you can experience it, when you know how to cultivate it. So if this podcast episode today, if the excerpt from my book made you perk up a little bit and you felt this nudge inside of you that said, this, this, is, this is the answer here, I want to ask you to, to take some courageous action, step forward. Ways to contact me are in the the show notes below. You can go on my website, book a free discovery call. You can contact me through social media. But I want you to reach out and say, Hey, Seth, I'm scared, but I know this is something that I want. And I, I I want your guidance in going into this journey. My friends, I would be so overjoyed to to help any one of you listening to to step into this journey of a a truly fulfilling life, full of your authentic and genuine true desires and wants, free from all of the distractions and the the joy-free substitutes. My friends, I'm here to help you with that, so just reach out. All right, I'm going to leave this here for you all. I wish you all a wonderful week full of joy until next week when we meet here again. Ciao. Hey, thank you for listening in this week. I hope you enjoyed the content of this episode. If you did, please subscribe or follow this podcast to receive the newest episodes every week as I bring them to you here on the Connect Your Health to Life coaching channel. Ratings, reviews, and comments are always appreciated. These allow me to know more of what my listeners would like in the podcast and allow for more people who may be searching for a podcast just like this one to find the Connect Your Health to Life coaching channel. If you would like more information about me and the work that I do with my clients one-on-one, then please visit my website at www.slch.ch. Again, that is www.slch.ch. You can also find me on social media on Instagram at sethlusk underscore coaching. Again, that is sethlusk underscore coaching. And on Facebook 
and my free Facebook group community called A Healthy Life Connection. We would love to have you in the group, and it's only three membership questions that you have to answer to join. And again, it's entirely free. And if you need any further information or just want to say hello, feel free to send me an email directly at slusk.health at slch.ch. Again, that is slusk.health at slch.ch. Thank you again so much for listening, and I look forward to our next time together. Ciao.